Hey there, all you true crime fans. I'm Amanda. And I'm Corey. And welcome back to Colorado Crime. You know the drill. We're just two best friends who want to chat about all things true crime. This week's case is another one from our home state of Colorado. So, without further ado, let's jump into this week's joke. Okay, are you ready? This fantastic joke was sent to me by Emerson. Thanks, Ems. Thanks, Emmy. What do dogs call their photographers? <laughs> uh, okay, this better be appropriate. What? <laughs> well, she's only nine, so it's paparazzi. <laughs> Aww. That one was cute. Good job, Emmy. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to shamelessly plug our Serial Killer Tuesday. Um, just so you guys know, in case we haven't told you every single episode, um, on Serial Killer Tuesday, which is on a Tuesday, that's why it's called that, we do a month-long deep dive into a different serial killer's life. This month, we're discussing Dean Coral, aka the Candyman. Next week will be the finale, and we'll be sad about that. But then we're going to move on to David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. So, make sure you're tuning in every Tuesday at our special upload time, which is 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, to find out what makes some of the most prolific serial killers tick. All right, friends. Now, let's get into some true crime updates. So, my story's coming to you straight out of Illinois, not Compton. In case you guys have forgotten, I moved to Illinois. I know I might have mentioned it a time or two, but I'm just refreshing your memories. <laughs> So, this 45-year-old man was inside a home off of North Sheridan Road in the Rogers Park neighborhood at about 3.30 a.m., and just so you know, nothing good happens after midnight, when someone started knocking on the door. Then that someone pushed the door open, why wasn't your door locked, and fired shots into the living room where the victim was standing. Someone called 911, and the shooter ran into the alley. The victim suffered multiple gunshot wounds, and was pronounced dead on the scene. He was identified as Quentin Pruitt of Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was just visiting some friends and family in Chicago. He was not affiliated with any gangs, and they are thinking that he might have just been a victim of mistaken identity. At this time, no arrests have been made, and they are still investigating. Ooh, that's kind of scary. Right? You're just minding your own business on a vacation, and you get killed? Yeah. Again, why wasn't your door locked? But that's a story for another time. Right. But how sad. I know. Well, mine is not coming to you. Not the first one. It's not coming to you straight out of Colorado. This one is in Idaho. Um, so this week it was announced that Lori Vallow, or Colt Mom, as she's sometimes known, will actually not face the death penalty if convicted of murdering her daughter, son, and her current spouse's former wife. So apparently, That's so crazy. I, I know, right? Mm -hmm. So apparently Idaho doesn't have the chemicals necessary for an execution, and she has clear mental health issues. Um, her trial is set to begin on April 3rd after several delays. Lori's facing charges in Arizona also for the shooting death of her ex-husband. So we'll keep you guys updated when a verdict is released. Did you follow that case closely or not really? I did. I did too. 
I was like, oh my gosh. First of all, how, how like it takes a special kind of someone to constantly have a lie going every time someone wants to know where your kids are. Right. Like yeah. and they went missing in October. I don't believe she was arrested until January, maybe. Yeah. It was a long ass time. And they moved <clears> places <throat> and they're like, nah, the kids are somewhere. Yeah, nah, I wouldn't tell anybody. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were in Hawaii. and Yeah, that was a whole. That case is crazy. She, that is crazy. She kind of does deserve the death penalty, and I'm sorry that there isn't one there. I agree. I think what she did was calculated, <laughs> and I mean, that, the whole family. People. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole family, that whole dynamic is super weird, and it it's mm -hmm. based off of a religious cult. Um, Which is interesting. Yeah. And like it started as like a Mormon based religion. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of took that and ran and made yep. like this crazy religion where people are either good or bad light. No, they're right. either light or yeah, dark no, or that's something. Right. Yeah. And only they can decide or something. It's right. Something only crazy. Only her current husband can see who is light and who is dark. It's yes. stupid. Chad Daybell. F um, that guy so, for real. So uh in case anybody wants to know, I am looking into starting a cult because I'm already a minister. It, my cult wouldn't be near that crazy. You wouldn't have to like kill people or anything like that. Um, so just FYI, if you're looking for a good cult, I'm looking for starting up one. So <laughs> we're going to cover a cult at some point and I'm so jazzed for it. I know. I love them so much. I do too. I think obviously since insane. I'm going to start one, would you be in my cult? I don't know. It depends on like what we do. Well, it wouldn't be anything, like, stupid. Like, we wouldn't beat people up or anything like that. Oh, good. I would lose. And it wouldn't be, like, weird, like, a weird sex cult. Because I think that's ridiculous. Like, who has the time for that? Yeah, no. like, I just, I would like to join a cult where, like, we play with puppies and mm -hmm. maybe eat some ice cream. I just really want people to give me money. Fair. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. And if you turn it into a church, you don't have to pay taxes. Hypothetically, of course. Nobody's considering tax evasion here. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, if one were to start up a religious cult, you could turn it into a church. Hypothetically. And not pay taxes, hypothetically. Hypothetically. It sounds like a win to me, hypothetically. It really does. And then I could get those cool bunk beds. Oh, yes. You and those bunk beds. I know. I'm obsessed. Well, Candace's mom called me and she's like, you really talked about bunk beds. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I love them. <laughs> I'm really committed to these things. <laughs> I really am. Oh, God, Man that's funny. It's called manifestation. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Manifesting bunk beds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever you're into, I feel like right. that would be something easy to manifest and to acquire. So, yeah, see, bunk beds it is. Bunk beds mm -hmm. for everyone. And then multiple people can sleep in one room, whether you like each other or not. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but if you guys came to visit, you could all sleep in one room because it's four by bunk bed. <laughs> so. <laughs> My 
my friend Alyssa posted something on Instagram that says, me in my 20s secretly hates everyone. Me in my 30s publicly hates everyone. That's me, guys. Yeah. I'm in my 40s. It's for me, too. I don't, I don't like anybody. I don't trust anybody. I'll be nice, but, like, I don't want to go pal around, okay? Don't do that to me. But my next story, I have two. The next one actually comes out of Denver. Um, there was a, another school shooting today in Denver at East High, and they are currently looking for the suspect as of Wednesday night at 6.40 p.m. Um, the student's been identified as Austin Lyle, who's 17. He is described as a black male, 5'5", five five, 150 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes, and he was last seen wearing a green hoodie. Um, but he walked into his school and shot two of the deans and is still on the run. Which is just crazy to me. That is crazy. Uh, I don't really... It's weird. I know. So uh, East High is... They're not having school for the rest of the week. Mm, and That's probably good. Yes. And then DPS actually starts spring break on Friday. So... Just so sad. Currently, both victims are doing okay. One's in good condition and one is in less than that. I'm not, I don't remember. And lastly, today actually marks the two-year mark of the grocery store shooting at the King Supers in Boulder, where 10 people were left dead, including a police officer. Um, I don't know if those two, I don't know if he chose those days, but... Yeah, that was two years ago. All righty then. So, as you guys know, we're moms. I have two kids, and like they, they make me insane. Mm -hmm. um, especially when they're on spring break and making me want to pull my hair out. But, honestly, they really are my entire world. And I can't imagine like ever causing them harm or them harming me. And I like to think that we have like a really close relationship and we can talk through almost anything. But the case that we're discussing today revolves around a mom, a dad, and their son. A family unit that sounds functional, but is anything but. And so, parenting is hard. Like, it's no, it's, there's no manual for it. And it's, it's hard work. But this, I, I don't know. This story bugs me, so. It, this was on. definitely a hard one for us to write. So yeah. let's jump into it and then we will give you our thoughts at the end. So Julie Ibanez was born on June 4th, 1955 in Davenport, Iowa. She married her high school sweetheart, Roger. And then in 1981, they had their son, Nathan. She was an intensely devout evangelic Christian. They moved to Germany where Roger worked in the insurance business for five years. Then they moved back and proceeded to move around a ton. They lived in Iowa for a few years, Chicago for a short time, Virginia Beach, and Nebraska where they actually owned a bakery. Finally, they moved to Colorado right before Nathan started high school, which had to be hard at that age to switch schools yeah. and to not have any friends going into that situation. But he attended a Christian school before he enrolled in Highlands Ranch High School, where he would have been a sophomore. 
So it was his first time at a public school. And as Nathan had grown older, his mom started to believe that he had fallen under the spell of Satan due to his choices in music and friends. And she tracked him obsessively. And, like, she would follow him places. She, like, bugged his phone. She was very, very, very intense. So Nathan made two friends pretty quickly, Brett Baker and Eric Jensen. The boys were in a band and had an opening. And that's how Nathan became a member of the band Troublebound. So the band was doing well. However, Nate was not. His grades were bad. He'd run away several times. And he was also smoking pot. His parents sent him away to a rehab center in Boulder, which he did quit smoking weed, but he started drinking heavily. He ended up with an underage consumption ticket and ran away from home some more. He even stayed with Eric for a few weeks. Eric had given him the runaway hotline number, and Nathan himself had called the police to have them contact the Douglas County Social Services because he was unable to function at home. But whenever police picked him up from wherever he was, they always took him back to his parents' apartment. Friends knew things were strained between Nathan and his parents as he rarely ever mentioned them, but none of them knew the extent until Nathan finally let someone know. And I will say that this isn't the first time the abuse had been noticed. So when Nathan was younger, his parents were moving around a lot and family members had witnessed Roger actually pushing and hitting Nathan on several occasions. And they'd also witnessed him threatening to hit Julie. And Roger was a piece of shit. Roger often insulted Nathan and called him names like stupid and worthless. And the family stated that they thought this behavior might have stemmed from a violent family cycle of alcoholism. Roger's father, who would have been Nathan's grandfather, was actually suspected of killing Roger's sister, but was never charged. By this time, it was the fall of 1997. Nathan's parents' marriage was on the rocks, and his father moved out due to the problems they were having with him. His father said that, quote, he was a pain in the butt, unquote, and they hoped some time apart would help things out. At this time, Nathan began confiding more in his friends, and they were telling him to get someone else at the school, like a counselor or another adult involved. Eric even told his father, and they were just not sure what they could do. Finally, Nathan showed up at the baker's house in the middle of the night in just his underwear, crying that his father was raging, throwing stuff, and choking him. Brett's parents decided that they needed to file a detailed report with the Douglas County Social Services. So they got with the Jensen's and they all of them went down there to file a report with Douglas County and they never received a call back. Officers with the Douglas County Sheriff's Office and Social Services have refused to discuss how they handled these reports, citing privacy laws. I understand that social services is overworked and understaffed. However, letting all these kids fall through the cracks does not sit right with me. Sometimes, family isn't the best place for them, and some people are not meant to be parents. But that is a different opinion for a different time, and I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I think you're absolutely right. This young boy 
as you guys will see, was failed over and over and over again. First by his family, and then by the multiple agencies that refused to take reports or responsibility. Or took reports and then never did anything. Like, how many reports do you need from the child himself saying that he's being mistreated at his home? And this was 1997. People didn't complain a lot. Like, if you were being hit, you really didn't say a whole lot. So he had to have really been having some really... This this is... He, he was having a really bad time at home. And he tried to get help from people and no one helped him. It's just, it's sad. Mm -hmm. On June 5th, 1998, Nathan went home that morning to find his father at the apartment, which was a surprise because Roger didn't spend a whole lot of time with Nathan. When Nathan asked what Roger was doing there, he explained that Julie had asked him to come by so they could talk about sending Nathan to a military school located in Missouri for good this time. His parents had previously driven Nathan to the camp and threatened to leave him there. He was able to plead with his parents to take him back home, but this time it was different. Nathan had begged his parents for one more chance. Roger told him, quote, You are going nowhere but downhill, just running with your group of friends and playing in this band, end quote. Julie planned to drive Nathan to the military school that evening. So... Eric had been out scoring some weed with the band's drummer, and he was getting stoned when he got a call from Nathan asking him to come meet him at the Einsteins so they could talk. Einsteins is a bagel joint. It's pretty good. It is good. They have these sandwiches that I really like. Mm-hmm. While they were sitting in the parking lot talking about how Nathan's parents wanted to send him to military school, Eric said he started talking about killing his mom. Eric said that he had talked to like this before, but this time it sounded a little more serious. Nathan asked Eric if he would help him kill his mom. Eric said, no, absolutely not. Nathan asked him if he would help him clean up after he killed his mom. And Eric was like, okay, I can do that. Then Eric left Nathan at Einstein's because he worked there and went back with some friends to smoke some more weed at his house. After Nathan got off work, Eric went to pick him up, and he was still talking about killing his mom. Eric asked him, quote, are you thinking about doing this? Nathan said, quote, I have to. I'm going to do it, unquote. Eric said, I gave you my word. I'll help you clean up. That night, Eric waited in the car after dropping Nathan off at home. He waited for 30 minutes and then went up to the apartment. Eric knocked on the door and Julie answered it with pure hatred in her eyes. She sent Eric to Nathan's room while her and her son had a family conversation. Then Eric heard the commotion and yelling. Eric walked into the living room and saw Nathan hit Julie in the head with the fireplace tongs. Nathan yelled for Eric to get the saran wrap, so he ran into the kitchen and saw the wrap sitting on the counter. He grabbed it, went back into the living room. He saw Nathan was on top of his mother. When Nathan reached for the box with one of the hands that he was using to hold Julie down, she hit the box and knocked it out of his hand. Eric saw that there was blood on the box and he freaked out and backed away. Nathan said, I need help. Eric said, fuck you. Nathan said, I've got her wrist. You've got to help and handed Eric the tongs. Eric said he just let them drop on Julie's head and then he blacked out for a little bit. When he awoke, he saw blood everywhere. 
Somehow, in the struggle, Nate had landed on his back on the floor, and his mother was on top of him with her face towards the ceiling. Julie was pleading for Nathan to stop as Nathan held the tongs against her throat. This, by the way, is a horrible way to die. No matter how you look at it, strangling is way hard to do. It's not like in the movies. No, and it is, I'm sure we've talked about it a hundred times, but it's so personal. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so hard. Like, it's, it's so really, hard. really hard. Like, you can't, yes. like, it's not like a, it's not like you see in the movies where they wrap two hands around the throat and choke the person out. That doesn't, it takes a lot of strength and a lot of willpower and people dedication. move around. Yeah, dedication. Exactly right. Dedication. <laughs> <laughs> well, once his mother stopped moving, Nathan took the cord from his Sega Genesis controller and wrapped it around her neck. He put a plastic bag over her head and taped it down. Then he got Eric and they got her into a red sleeping bag and dragged her body out onto the balcony. The scene was a mess. There was blood everywhere. On the ceiling, walls, on the floor, like everywhere. Gross. Eric was yelling at Nathan, what the hell did you do? Nathan said that it wasn't supposed to be like this. You weren't supposed to be a part of it, but I thought I needed help. I didn't think that I could do it alone. They also still needed help cleaning up. So Nathan asked Brett if he could come over. Brett had arrived a few minutes later. Eric answered the door. He had blood spatter on his face and Brett saw that Nathan was on his hands and knees scrubbing the blood out of the carpet and walls. All Brett could say was, oh my god. Eric told him to, quote, clean. Brett said he didn't want to, and Eric told him that he didn't either, but that's what they had to do. So the three boys cleaned up the scene. Eric scrubbed the bloodiest wall. Nate cleaned the floor, and Brett cleaned the ceiling. Then, Eric took a shower and put on some of Nathan's clothing. Eric said he wanted to go get stoned. Nathan told him he guessed he could do whatever he wanted, as there was no one to catch him now. After they got done smoking, they cleaned up the rest of the evidence. They took the cleaning supplies and threw them into garbage bags. Then, they picked up some of Julie's belongings to get rid of, so that it looked like she and Nate had just left. Brett and Eric took the garbage bags and cleaning supplies and Julie's things and drove around Littleton, ditching the bags in various dumpsters behind strip malls. They stopped at a gas station so that Eric could buy a can of gas. Then they went back to the apartment. Nathan had said he wanted to leave Highlands Ranch and, and find a place in Denver. Brett and Eric told him that he should go to Mexico. <laughs> <clears throat> now, I know what you're all thinking. This does sound like a really well-thought-out plan, and it kind of was, but it starts to get tricky. Because, if you'll remember, they're just teenagers. 15, 16, 17, 16, 17, you know, they're not, they're not adults. They don't have adult minds. They don't have adult thoughts. They're teenagers. So, Brett and Nate... Um, then wrapped a rug around the sleeping bag that contained Julie's body and then tied a cord that went to an electric guitar amplifier around all of it. Then they carried her body down the stairs. It was heavier than they thought and the cord snapped by the second set of stairs. And the rug started to unroll. 
Can you imagine? You're trying to carry no. a dead body down the stairs and it starts to unroll because it's heavy. Dead bodies weigh a lot more than regular people. Yes. Dead weight's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow they managed to get the body to the parking lot. They also had a hard time getting her into the trunk. Also, not like in the movies. Nate finally had to step on her to get her in there. Brett and Eric left, and Brett went to spend the night at Eric's. We're not making fun of the fact that he had to step on her to get her in the trunk. That's not okay, but it's not, none of this was probably easy, and I mean, I don't know about any of you, but if you've ever tried to murder anyone, it's a lot, it's not like it looks on the TV. So, Nathan decided he would drive around in his mother's Lexus with her body, a shovel, and a can of gas inside. He finally pulled into Daniel's Park near Sedalia. It was early in the morning on June 6th. A Douglas County deputy was getting ready for shift change and decided to take a final cruise through the park. Which, if you are a seasoned deputy, you know that at the end of your shift, you should just stay in one place. Because otherwise, trouble finds you. Every time. Every time. It's not. No, you, you're like, you know what? I'll just make one more pass down this road. And then you get a speeder who happens to have drugs in his car and is revoked and has to go to jail. And then you're stuck staying after work for four hours. Yep. Every time. So never fails. He, no, he, he drove by and saw Lexus in the parking lot. So he shined his lights onto it and it had the trunk open. And Nathan was standing beside the car, wearing bloodstained gloves, and next to him was a sleeping bag with feet protruding from the end. And I bet that deputy was like, damn it, I should have stayed where I was. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was like, <sighs> oh, yeah, immediately. He's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to go home. <laughs> So, Nathan was taken into custody, obviously, because he had a dead body, and Brett and Eric were arrested a few days later. Brett and Eric were released on bail, but Eric was rearrested two months later. He was charged, a, he was charged as an adult with first-degree murder. Brett happened to score the deal of a lifetime. He testified against his two friends and was granted immunity. I mean, he did the least amount of work, so... Oh, true. I kind of understand that. Absolutely, but he... Ratting on your friends. I mean, I would rat on my friends, too. I'm not going to lie. Oh, God, yeah. But he threw some (laughs) pretty wild details in that actually never Mm. happened. Oh, he's that kid. He's that kid, which totally bums me out. But That sucks. I know. So Eric actually faced trial first. He went to trial in August of 1999. Four months after two boys entered their high school and killed 12 students and one teacher before they turned their guns on themselves. So to say that there was a prejudice against angsty teens would be an understatement. Eric was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, even though Nathan testified and swore under oath that Eric had done nothing. So Nathan's trial began in October of 1999, and it was televised on court TV, and it lasted less than three days. So most of the time, a juvenile charged as an adult in a serious crime is is assigned what's called a guardian ad litem. But instead, 
Nate was advised by his father, and his defense was paid for by his dad, which is a clear conflict of interest, especially with the abuse claims. And the this fact just gets that gets crappier and crappier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Nathan goes to court and his attorney called zero witnesses. He presented zero evidence and he had a total of four pages of notes. And he was even heard saying that Nate had that Nate may have had a hole in his heart. Like a hole where he couldn't have any feelings or like a hole that he needed the surgery? Well, it wasn't medical related. Mm. That's and a good his, thing for a defense attorney to say. Right. This is his attorney. This is supposed to be mm-hmm. the guy who's helping him stay out of prison. Or not even stay out of prison because what he did was wrong and he... Yes. He deserves he deserves punishment for that. But as a 16-year-old, I don't think life in prison was the way to go. I agree. I agree. And especially, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But after 90 minutes of deliberation, Nathan was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Eric and Nathan wrote letters to each other while incarcerated. Both focused on their education while in prison and trying to better themselves, which good for them. I think that's really cool that they, mm-hmm. they're maybe not BFFs anymore. Right. But I mean, I think it's cool that they stayed friends. Mm-hmm. So while in custody, several experts came to speak with Nathan. It took several sessions before Nathan opened up. But when he did, it became apparent that Nathan was sexually and physically abused. Nathan's back was completely covered in scars from belts and straps. He explained that his father began sexually abusing him at the age of five in the shower. And his mother forced him to have intercourse with her between the ages of 10 and 12, with the first time happening at the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. Which is so shitty. Yeah. Well, Eric Jensen was released from custody in March of 2020. Nathan Ibanez was eligible for parole in December of 2020. And according to the Colorado Department of Corrections website, Nathan Ibanez is no longer in custody, but he's lived a very quiet life since. There's no information on him since his release. So now is the time that we're going to chat about our opinions. Mm -hmm. Corey, do you want to go first? Sure. So when I was reading this, I did see that they had gotten um, released because of that law that went into place where juveniles could be out in blah, blah, blah time or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I started reading more about this, like this case. And um, like Amanda said earlier, it was really hard for us to write without having feelings about it because it's kind of like, it's kind of like when a domestic violence victim kills, kills their abuser. And then goes to jail. Why? Why? They spent their whole life in a relationship with this person who 
who did nothing but traumatize them. And then when they end the pain and the traumatization, they're punished for that, which I mean, they should be punished a little bit like, but when you get life in prison at 16 for being abused almost your entire life by the peer, by the two people who are supposed to protect you and make sure that nothing bad happens to you is pretty terrible in my opinion. Like I think the system failed him, the police failed him, his attorney failed him, and his parents and their families failed him. I totally agree. And I don't think Eric Jensen should have got life in, in prison. I think that was way, way too much. He did not kill her. Now, granted, he did help. And I think that an appropriate amount of time may have been 10 years. But he was still a child. They're still children. Right. And you have to remember that Eric's parents and Brett's parents had gone to the police mm -hmm. because they knew what was going on to Nathan or with yep. Nathan. And nothing was done. Yeah, adults tried to intervene and nobody cared. No. I mean, the school, for God's sake, even got involved. And nobody cared about this kid. And, and then when he murders, all of a sudden everyone cares and no one gives him a fair trial. He doesn't have a fair trial. He does Nothing's fair. Nothing's fair about it. No, he had all of the odds stacked against him. Mm-hmm. And... In no way, shape, or form am I saying that murder is acceptable or right or should go unpunished. But this kid deserved better. And now here he is, in his 40s, spending his first time out of jail since he was 16. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out the world. And, like, think back to 1999. Mm -hmm. We are in a totally different place than we were then. That's right. got to be so confusing. I can't even imagine. No, and it just, it breaks my heart. And this was a really hard case for me to write. And I really struggled to actually sit down and write this without being completely biased. And right. honestly, I don't think that I can. I don't think so either. And I, I hope think after, I think after like reading it and listening to it and all the things we did to prepare it, I will never be on the side of the the side of justice for this kid like it didn't that didn't happen for him he did no. not get justice for anything no and i just his parents were horrible people yes both of them i'm sorry but his chat his dad should be in prison and i mm -hmm. really hate that there is a statute of limitations on rape mm -hmm. yeah because he'll never face he'll mm -hmm. never face jail time or a court of his peers nothing for what he did to his son. No. And the sad part is, is that 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 very same thing happened to happened to him, too. I mean, he was abused and stuff when he was a kid, too. So it's just a cycle that never gets broken because mm -hmm. nobody has the tools to to help people. Because, I mean, in all honesty, social services is overworked and understaffed. Oh, absolutely. There's not enough. When no. caseworkers have, you know, 50 to 60 to 80 cases, that's not fair to any of those kids. No. No. And some and people shouldn't be parents. it's not fair to the social workers either. No. It's not. And we are going to cover Columbine, but 
this happened 10 miles away from Columbine. Mm -hmm. This happened and then Columbine happened. And it was punk kids mm -hmm. who were angry and took their their rage and their vengeance out on other on other people. And that I wish that I could like bottle that feeling mm -hmm. of I mean. I remember driving to drop my brother off at middle school and my mom saw a kid wearing a, like a long coat. My mom's like, oh, that kid's part of the trench coat mafia. And I'm yeah, like, it created, it created a fear for everyone. Absolutely. And so, I mean, that, that went, that didn't help him either. Mm -mm. No, because that's what they thought he was. Some punk kid trying to get back at his mom for trying to make him go to mi to military school. And right. the only reason they wanted to go him to go to military school is because he wasn't doing what they wanted him to. And because he was being abused. And abuse, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just can't wrap my head around it. No, it just, it, it breaks I'm my heart. I'm glad he got out, but I think it was you know a little too 20 late 20 years too late yeah mm -hmm. i just hope that wherever nathan is that he's enjoying his life now and that he got the help that he needed in prison mm -hmm. and i hope that he just goes on to do something good i really hope like he changed his name and you oh, know God, got yeah. got new stuff and went on with his life as a new person yes yes all right, guys. Well, I think that's a wrap on this week's episode. So we got a suggestion from one of our wonderful listeners, Amber. Thanks, Amber. Um, we're going to start something new at the end of this episode. We would like you to send us your questions about whatever you want, as long as it's not like dirty or gross. And we'll try to answer them in our next episode. It can basically be pretty much about anything home stuff podcast stuff family stuff you want to know something about us you can email us dm us or if you're part of that lucky few you can send us a text message and we promise we'll answer at least four questions an episode maybe more depending on how how randy we're feeling wow and we'll be honest i know well, we'll be as honest as we can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you send something weird, we're not answering your question. No. Don't send us anything weird or gross or anything like that. But if you want to know something, if you want to hear about something that we haven't talked about, um, if you want to hear about how I moved to Illinois, please feel free to ask me a question about it. What? <laughs> I know. You moved? I know. I know. It's crazy. It sounds wow. like I'm right there with you in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> We've tried that. We don't fit very well in this little tiny room. No, and the dog wants to go in there. And there's not enough chairs. It's she whole just thing. loves you. She really does. She <laughs> loves you. Dogs, dogs are my people. Kids are my people. I just love them all. I'm and not in a creepy dog way. People kind of a guy, kind of a gal. You're not a kid person. When I'm not really kids a kid about person. That? I like bum. my kids. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm not a kid person. I like my kids. I could never go into teaching. And oh. like, 
I do, a, I'm sure I've talked about it, but I do a pre-prom anti-drinking and driving program. And I do it once a year. And I hang out with 40 high school kids for two days. And that's that's enough for me. Like that mm-hmm. is, that's my year. And I love it. And I love them. And by the end of it, I am like their parent. And I would take any of them home. But like, oh, that's, that's the extent of it. Ball of wax. You know, I really enjoy high school kids because you can actually. Have conversations with them. Yeah. And they're funny. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And like. If I had to be a teacher, that's I would be a high school history teacher. Oh, I wanted to be a teacher. This is a free answer. I wanted to be a teacher when I was younger. Like, what did probably you want to right te- up until I was like nineteen? I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to teach elementary school, like uh, first through fifth grade. Ugh. Nope. That's why. That's why I have like a teacher face and. I'm like the Pied Piper leaving your, leading your children away from their horrible lives. I don't know. I just. I, I like small I can, kids. I don't. Small kids always bully me. <laughs> it's because you're small. <laughs> I don't know why. They just do. <laughs> They're mean to me. <laughs> So, send us your questions. For real. We're not kidding. Yeah. I'm excited. It'll be fun. We'll answer as many as we can, and we'll be as honest as possible. We'll love it. We will. And you will, too. All right, crime fans. Well, until next time, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you send in your questions. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you can be notified every time we upload. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. We love doing listener shoutouts, so make sure you leave a comment or a review for us. Next week, we're going to discuss the murder of Natalie Bollinger. New episodes are released every Friday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Please follow us on Instagram at Colorado Crime Pod or on Facebook at Colorado Crime Podcast for information on next week's episode, as well as other true crime happenings. We hope you have a beautiful day wherever you are. And as always, stay safe. Until next time, podcastians, have the weekend you deserve.